three weeks we've been doing a series called Attitudes and Emotions, and today I want to continue that into the aspect of fatherhood, and the title today is The Emotional Needs Found in Fathers. The verse that we have been using as the theme verse for this series is Romans chapter 12, 2, that says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that on this day when we recognize fathers, that you are the picture of what fatherhood looks like for us. You're our heavenly father, and there's never been a day or a time in our life that you've not been faithful to us. I pray that you would take your word today, and as we begin to look at the stages of fatherhood and the emotional support that fathers provide, as well as the emotions and attitudes that we go through in those stages, that you would begin to deposit something in us that would help us to raise the level of the abilities that we have so that we can resemble your fatherhood more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There is a pattern in our world today. It's a pattern that is seeking to diminish the role and the importance of masculinity in our world. In fact, we see biblical masculinity and masculinity in general being attacked all over the place as there seems as if we live in a world that is trying to make us genderless, regardless of the way Christ has created us as male and female. And so when the Scripture indicates to us that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, there is an application that is to be made for us as we look at this, recognizing that we who have been made in the image of God as male and those of us who are fathers need to not conform to the world, but we need to demonstrate a biblical masculinity that reflects the fatherhood of God and do that well. I looked at this and I thought, you know, fathering comes naturally to God, but the rest of us can use some pointers. Did you know that fatherhood actually changes the brain of men? Now, I recognize that that there's some men said, yes, it's damaged my brain, and that's, that's really not where I was going with that. But I have had a blast doing some studies over the past several weeks in preparation for this. In fact, I had 26 pages of notes that I was trying to squeeze into what I could talk about today. And by the way, I didn't bring them all. I only brought about seven of them. But there were some interesting things medically and, and, and some sociologists and psychologists that talked about the fact that in the day and age in which we live, that there is a neuron level change that takes place when one becomes an expectant father and those neurons continue to grow when one becomes the father of an infant. Researchers say that these development, these new neurons, the brain changes within a man, helps a man become a father that provides a rich environment for his children to grow up in and has a deep impact. The things that happen in his brain have a deep impact on his ability to father at an emotional level. The father effect is kind of an umbrella term that talks about a parental presence, and these effects can be numerous as a father participates in the various stages of their children's lives, and fathers may ask themselves during the stages of fatherhood, what are my children learning about? What are they learning about life in general? What are they learning about morality? How should our family members treat one another? How should they develop relationships as children and then growing into young adulthood, and all of these things are deeply affected emotionally by fathers. And so what I would like to do this morning is over the next few minutes, I want to take fatherhood and break it down into the stages 
of the children's development and how we as fathers have a deep impact on the emotional outcomes of our children from these different stages. So the first stage is this, pregnancy to toddler. So here's what I like to do. Every man that is an expectant father or you are a father of a child up to the age of three, would you please stand this morning? If you're an expectant father or you have children three years and younger, would you please stand this morning? So we look around and see all of the fathers that have rings under their eyes from lack of sleep. <laughs> Thank you. You may be seated. One of the things that I discovered as I was preparing this is, is there's a whole series of articles and medical journal aspects that are written about epigenetics, which is the study of the changes in DNA that are caused by lifestyle choices in the environment. In fact, there is a reoccurring theme in an emerging study that has taken place that for years people have indicated or thought that it was the mother that had the most input in, I'm going to use this term, ruining genetic information based on drugs, alcohol, or a lifestyle that she may have had during pregnancy. There's an emerging study that has taken place that indicates that there is way more that is deposited in the father's DNA that affects this than we have previously thought. This is not strictly a mother issue, but it is a father issue. In fact, they've gone so far as to say that if a father drinks before conception, he is more likely to have children with a predisposition to alcohol abuse. If a father has poor dietary choices, it can lead to negative pregnancy outcomes. And at least one study suggested that men who are stressed, living in a stressful situation or doing stressful jobs, may, at the deposit of conception, predispose their children to high blood pressure because of the attitudes and emotions that they carry into that moment. Joanna Kitlinski from Georgetown University noted in a 2016 study, we know that nutritional, hormonal, and psychologi uh, psychological environment provided by the mother can permanently alter organ structure and cellular response and gene expression in our offspring. But our study shows the same thing is true of the father's. His lifestyle, his tension level can cause predispositions that are reflected in the molecules that can control gene function in their children. So fathers, emotionally and attitudinally, the way that you live your life will have an effect on your children from the very second that child is conceived. That leads us then to the birth of children. And how many of you know that things have changed radically in the last 40 years as it relates to the birth of children? My father, when my mother was due with me, dropped her off at the hospital and went and played golf. And he stopped by later to see if I'd arrived. Had no idea whether I was a boy or a girl because they just didn't know then until the baby arrived. And I don't know how well he shot golf that day, but I do know at some point he walked in and they were allowed, he was allowed to see me. We move forward into the 1970s and, and the culture began to change because of the call for natural childbirth where fathers should be involved in some of that. In fact, it was because of this that the studies indicated that it was not a detriment to have fathers. Now, depending on how well you can handle scenes of birth, some of you, it may have been a detriment to have you in the room if they had to drag you out by your feet in the middle of childbirth, but they determined that it was not detrimental. In fact, there was an emotional strength that was provided to the birth-giving mother by having her husband in the room with her during that particular time. 
And they begin to study the changes in child development as it related to husbands who were involved in the preparation of childbirth. Now, many of you probably, if, if you were in your room when your wife gave birth, recognize that some of us took classes before our, our babies were born. And I remember in Nebraska before my oldest daughter was born, I'm sitting in a room and there's some, a lot of heavenly pregnant women in there and there's guys sitting there and we're all learning breathing techniques that we're going to use when our wives are going to, until, man, I hyperventilated every class. I was an excellent breather, but I would see stars and have to hang on to things. But they had determined in that that fathers who were involved in the pregnancies of their children had a stronger bond to those children from the moment they were born than previous generations that had strictly dropped their wives off at the hospital. In fact, in a 2011 review on the literature on paternal involvement, the author claims that the preponderance of the ex evidence suggests dads who are involved and invested in the baby before he or she is born will remain, most of them, involved in that child's life from the moment of their birth on. There is a greater, stronger attachment and indicates that there's better outcomes for the kids. So now, we've gone from the time when fathers were there that you now know that there is an attitudinal an emotional deposit that you make in the pregnancy process and then as you're with her when the baby is born and then you get to actually be a father. Dads, we should not be unrealistic as to what our toddlers understand or our infants understand. I know I have held my children and I swear to you they smiled at me first. It I could just see it. I later learned as they got a little bit older that that's the same smile that they have when a puppy enters the room. It's the same smile they had when we introduced applesauce to their diet. It's the same smile they have right after they have relieved themselves. But we take each of those as strong meetings. And in my family, it was the same smile as they were introduced to rice cakes. Now, this was frustrating for me, and I'm not alone. There are, there are reasons why fathers oftentimes, when their children are infants and toddlers, wonder why should they even invest in spending time. I remember when my wife was nursing our children how alone I felt. I said, I am so outside the process. The best I can do is just sit in the room and watch this bonding, wondering, will I ever get a chance to be a father? Will there ever be an opportunity? And yet, Studies indicate that there is such a strong bonding that takes place in those early infantile and toddler years that though the father doesn't recognize it, that their very presence adds an emotional stability that is quickly recognized in the life of the child. In fact, there's a book called The Role of the Father in Child Development. This entire book, which was 672 pages, was written about the impact of fatherhood emotionally and attitudinally on the child uh, when they were very young. And let me just quickly highlight a couple of things that came out of that book. Studies found that infants attained higher cognitive scores at the age of one if their fathers were involved in their lives when they were one month old. Preterm infants similarly scored higher at 36 months if their dads played an active role from birth. And a separate study found that infants who played with their dads at nine months enjoyed similar growth in the ability to learn. When you 
Father, take those children that even though you don't think they understand you and you hold them and you interact with them and you play with them and you blow bubbles on their belly and you get them to giggle, there is a bonding that takes place that is affecting not only you emotionally but is affecting them emotionally. Then when infants transition to toddlers at around one, the father's effect becomes even more pronounced. Studies suggest that when fathers are involved in everyday tasks, in other words, sitting down and having dinner together where conversation takes place, reading to your children, playing with them, whether it would be in the house because it rains all the time in Syracuse, or if you have an opportunity to get in the backyard and just crawl around in the dirt together, that there are measurable benefits to a child's IQ because of the father's involvement at these stages of life. So, Dad, it seems to be that there's a unique touch that you offer that is different than Mother. It also was interesting to note that as children went from toddlers into a childhood, that the necessary aspect of fatherhood is that the fathers risk more than mothers. Generally, it's fathers that teach your kids how to swim because a father will not be afraid to turn his back on a child when they are in the pool while their mother yells, are you out of your mind? but that there's a necessary balance that comes from the father's ability to risk more and a mother's ability to protect more that in combination keeps one from being overtective and the other from being too risky. Then it leads us to those of you who are fathers of children up to the age of adolescence. And so if you have children between the ages of 5 and 12, would you please stand so that we can see you today? Fathers with children between the ages of 5 and 12. Wonderful. Give them a round of applause. They need it. You may be seated. That is a perfect Father's Day card right there. That is perfect. As your children begin to grow into full-blown childhood and all that that represents, dads that are living with their kids are much more involved. In fact, my wife who's a reading teacher will, will tell you of studies that have been done that the, the father reading to his children begins to unlock things within a child's brain to begin to learn the, the aspect is so important. How many of you know that between the ages of like two and a half and five, there's a lot of learning that goes on in a child's life? Here's the way I've, I first discovered that. When my granddaughter, my son's daughter, Kalia, was two and a half years old, I was explaining to her that her daddy is my little boy. I said, your dad is my little boy. And she's going, no, he's not. I said, yeah, he is. This is my little boy. No, he's not. That's my daddy. I, I know that, hon. Why don't you think he's my little boy? Because if he was your little boy, you would carry him around. <laughs> if he was your little boy, then every time you sit down, he would come over and crawl in your lap. And I begin to recognize that in the mind of a two-and-a-half-year-old, security looks like touch. Security from the father is... My daddy holds me, and if you were his daddy, you would carry him around. I began to envision that, and I thought that would cause back problems severely later on. But here's what happens in those two and a half years between two and a half and five. Here's how the mind of a child not only grows, but can learn to manipulate. Recently, I was there when my son was telling his daughter that she could not do something. And so she came up to me, and she goes... Would you tell your little boy? <laughs> would, you, would you talk to your son? I said, about what, sweetheart? 
he won't let me do something. And when I asked him why I can't, he said, because children have to obey their parents. So, <laughs> if you would tell your son to let me do it, he has to obey his parent. <laughs> did, you, did you just see the human nature and manipulation take place in two and a half years? And you're laughing because you see it in your kids all the time. That just switches, and you're going, that had to come from her mother's side of the family. I've... <laughs> but there's such development in the cognitive processes that take place that, Dad, you're absolutely essential in. In fact, if I was to just give you a brief outline of some of the roles that you're going to play as your children are in childhood to adolescence, it would be, number one, you're the priest of your home. You will stand before God and you will give an account of the spiritual direction of your home. And believe me, your children are watching. You're also the protector. They know that in a thunderstorm, your bed is the safe place. And they will come running in and want to be under your sheets and in your arms. If something scares them, they come running. Even in the church when we're introducing ourselves to new people and they have kids that age, they slide over behind dad's leg and they peek out around because dad's leg is safe. But there's this sense of protection that comes from dad. Dad, you're a teacher. You're also a playmate. There's nobody in the world that can play with kids quite like dad can. When my daughter was working on her master's degree in sociology, she was working at a, an adoption center, and she had called me. She said, Dad, I've just sat in an interview with children, and when I asked them, what is it the most that you're looking for in a family? She says, I had a little boy that said, I just want a dad that will tickle me. I just want a father that will tickle me. And she said, I had tears in my eyes recognizing I have grown up with that my whole life and here it is missing within this little boy's life because I just want a playmate. Your children will need you as a companion. And let me tell you something, companion means time. Love means time. And sitting on the couch together watching TV is not the kind of time they want. They want face-to-face -face time, conversation time, attention time. For those of you that have more than one children or for those of you grandparents who have more than one grandchild, my wife and I get a kick out of it all the time that whenever we call one household, whatever grandkids hits FaceTime first, they run off with the phone so that we cannot pay attention to the other grandkid because they want individual time. It's part of what we provide. They also want to see you, Dad, as a servant of the family, one who will do anything to provide and to take care of your children, which moves us to a third category, adolescence to adulthood. So if you're a father of a teenager or a college-age student, would you please stand? We are praying for you. <laughs> we are praying for you. Give them a round of applause. You may be seated. You will notice that most of them either don't have hair or it's turning gray. <laughs> Just a side effect. Adolescence. Studies indicate that at this particular stage of life, that the way a father treats a daughter and a son is very similar until they hit puberty. And then the father effect begins to change because when the raging hormones kick in, studies demonstrate that dads suddenly become the arbiters of sexual behavior particularly within their daughters. There's something within a teenage daughter that needs to sense 
the security and stability of dad more than perhaps ever before. And the relationship with dad will to a large extent determine how risky they may live their life and especially sexually. Dr. Danielle DiPorio cited numerous studies that finds a link between low-quality fathering and daughter's sexual outcomes, including early and risky sexual behavior. A father who is cold or disengaged may change a daughter's social environment and, and sexual psychology in a way that she would believe that it's okay to live in an unrestricted, an unrestricted sexual behavior. One of Dr. DeBroyo's studies on the phenomenon of daddy issues studied 101 pairs of sisters between the ages of 18 and 36. It was a well-controlled study. And because it allowed this doctor and her colleagues to examine women that came from same genetic pools who were raised under similar environmental conditions, the, the results of this study have been held as to a high degree of accuracy. What she found was... One sister that grew up in an active, warm relationship with her father, while the other was raised in a broken home or after the father had become less engaged, the former grew up largely avoiding casual, unprotected sex, while the latter often embraced it. It was revealed again and again and again that one of the most salient links between a woman and her sexual decision-making is how close her father was to her during her adolescent years and the stability he brought to the home. And here's what the results came back. Daughters might learn from a disengaged father that they should not expect men to invest meaningfully in long-term relationships. And so they will settle for whatever they can get, attention-wise, from men. And often that leads to risky behavior. So dads, when it comes to teenage daughters, take time to listen to them. Learn about their lives. Show up for important events. Know who their friends are. And provide the emotional support is one of the greatest protections that you can give for your daughter. And here's one of the things that makes this so difficult in a changing society. I grew up in a day and age where we may have had one or two phones, but they all hung on the wall. And so my mom knew the voices of every one of my friends because she answered the phone. And depending on who it was, I was told whether I could talk and how long I could talk. Now our kids have their own phones, and we have lost the ability to make that connection with who their friends are and who their life influences are. I would encourage you, Dad, make an effort to know who it is that's calling and texting your kids. Their phones belong to you and need to be checked regularly and have those conversations. I know every kid's going, why did you just tell my dad that? Because I love you and I care about you. And so do they. As your kids get into that stage of adolescence and into young adulthood, there is a changing relationship, which, frankly, this is a great time of the year for me as, as we're about to celebrate our high school graduates that are going out to college. And I can tell by the Facebook posts of so many parents that the anxiety of that moment of having to say goodbye is really ramping up. They begin to think, oh, no, this little boy of mine, this little girl of mine, now they're growing up and I'm about to lose direct influence in their life, and you are. It's about to become a suggestive influence in their life. But I hope that you didn't think about that for the first time now that they're seniors. Because the relationship has been changing for quite some time. And it adds to the stress when we don't at least recognize it and make plans for it. 
There are many parents that begin to wonder at this stage, are my kids ready to live on their own? Are they ready to go to college? What's going to happen? I don't trust their decisions. They don't even clean their room. How am I going to worry about them making great life decisions? Here's what's happening. By the way, the stress that takes place between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters during the teenage years, they are vitally important. It's not that you love each other less, but it's God's way of saying, I want you as parents to say, okay, you can leave. And I want your children to say, okay, I can live on my own. This is a part of the tearing process in the changing relationship of adolescence. You see, as children grow, they need guidance and support, and most parents enjoy teaching or coaching children And then they watch the fruit of their labor as kids come home with good grades because they've worked with them or they've worked with them in the area of music and acting and they get to watch the plays and they celebrate how good they feel because their kids have done that or they play sports and you've coached them for so long you get to watch all of this. But during those period of times, there has been an accompanying reward for your parental involvement. That changes at adolescence. There's no longer a reward for you. It's a reward for them. Because their primary need as they get into those adolescent years is individualization. They have a pathway of independence because they are growing to not need you. They're growing to not need you. And so in this aspect, your child is is trying to learn, how can I make it on my own by not having to ask you, Dad, everything about everything? I need to be able to make some decisions on my own and begin to grow in that. And so, Dad, here's your job when you have teenagers that are just entering into teenage years. You need to begin to click off a mental clock in your mind of what do I need to do between the ages of 12 and 18 so that when they're 18, they can walk out of my doors and I know full well I've done everything to prepare them for real life and to make decisions on their own. I will tell you, leaving my children at college was the hardest thing I have ever done. My kids did not go local. My daughter went to Evangel University, and I remember driving away from her, seeing her standing on the sidewalk, driving away, feeling like I had swallowed a fork sideways with tears in my eyes that I cried for 18 hours as I was driving home because of how lousy I felt, realizing that my parenting had left me in a place where I felt I needed her more than she needed me. And having to evaluate those feelings and recognize that that is a natural part of the process because I knew it would never be the same nor did I ever expect her to have to live with us again for any length of time besides a summer. But we had prepared well because we had received good counsel. In fact, it was harder for me to drop her off at college than it was to walk her down the aisle on her wedding because of the tearing that goes on in the heart of a father as you recognize your direct influence has changed to a suggestive influence. And so here's what I would encourage you dads. It's a technique that I teach families. It's called plan emancipation. You need to make plans while your children are still in their teenage years of how to allow them to have greater responsibility and greater decision-making power. Came to the point where we would tell our kids, here's how much money you have to buy school clothes this year. You do whatever you want, but whatever you buy is yours. And here, you can't go beyond that budget. And, and we did that when they were early so that they got to kind of choose their own styles. They chose clothes I may never have, cha- have chosen. But they were beginning to make these decisions so that by the time they were ready to go off to college, they had been prepared to make decisions. Because I can tell you that when you get to college, you can tell those who've been raised in overprotective homes. 
because there's a rubber band effect from having never made decisions to flying into decisions, and oftentimes they've not been thought out well or good. And so these are the challenging years, but the values that you build into your children at that time, as through their whole uh, adolescent years, you're working with them for planned emancipation. This is necessary for them. And then you get to the young adult years. And I want to wrap that up with, there were letters that I was reading of father's advice to their children as they were leaving college or, or they were just starting out in careers or many of them were getting married. And here was the advice that many of the fathers gave to them. Number one, be kind. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take time. There's usually a choice. Be kind. If a person just annoys you, then you can ignore them. But don't be mean. Don't ever be mean. Just be kind. It's the right thing to do. Secondly, to the adult children, young adult children, make wise financial decisions. Always pay your tithe to the Lord first. If you wait, it will disappear. After that, pay yourself next. Save some. Put it away. Then build your budget on what remains. Pay your credit card bills in full every month. And if you can't afford something, don't buy it until you can. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Three, create good routines. It's all about good habits. And the more you practice your good habits, the more they become your good habits. Unfortunately, this can apply to bad habits as well. So watch yourself. Create good routines. Fourth, mindfulness. This is pretty much the key to everything. Be mindful of your decisions and actions. Don't get crazy with impulsive or spur-of-the-moment decisions. A little spontaneity is good. It's fun. But rushing into important decisions is not. So be mindful. Fifth, dads say to their adult children, love your siblings, even when you don't always like them. Because when it comes to the end of the day, they are the ones that will always be there for you. If you are lucky enough to have some true great friends, then enjoy them but it will still never compare to the unconditional love of your family. Sixth, know that your father loves you with his entire heart. You probably won't really understand this until you have children of your own. Even then, it may seem incredible. After all, there were a lot of things that I told you no, and I wouldn't let you do, and you didn't always think it was nice, and you didn't think I was fun. But what you won't know until you're a parent is that was the toughest part of parenting for me, was not giving you everything that you wanted when you wanted it because I knew that it would build character in you. And Father, say eventually and hopefully a long, far time away when I get old and when you begin to make decisions for me, remember rule number one, be kind. Be kind. That leads us then into grandfathers and I would like every grandfather to proudly stand with me this morning. Every grandfather. Amen. Years ago, grandfathers had the thickest wallets, not because there was money in it, but because that's where all the pictures were. Now we have those on our phone. Grandfathers, you set the moral and foundational belief systems for your families at large. You are the container of family history, the wisdom of years of good and bad decisions, and the unconditional love that it has taken years to master. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4.9, it says, Only be careful to watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. There are four roles that grandfathers play, and each of them are important. Number one is you are now the blessing giver. Grandfathers, you're the blessing giver. Proverbs 10.7, it says, The memory of the righteous will be a blessing. 
Spiritually, you bless your children by praying for them and with them. Don't ever let a day go by when every one of your children and grandchildren have not been taken before the Lord in prayer. Grandfather, you encourage them in the growth of their gifts and in the growth of their abilities. Your voice matters to them. You also encourage them spiritually by valuing them as God's special creation and understanding each of them have unique abilities that you can speak into their life from. You're the blessing giver to them emotionally as well because you celebrate their accomplishments. You encourage them through their struggles. You communicate unconditional love to them always, always. Physically, you add your blessing to them because you you provide a place where they are always welcome and they know that they can come and eat anything they want out of your refrigerator or pantry. You also, grandfather, provide safe arms that they can run to. You provide an atmosphere where they know that they will always be accepted. Secondly, Grandpa, your role is that of a legacy maker. Proverbs 27 says, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. So bring honor to your family by the reputation that you choose to live by. Live a life of purity and integrity both publicly and privately because that will bring out the best outcomes in those that are around you. Be a great decision maker. Base your decisions on eternal perspectives. And remember that your goal is always, I want to finish well. And then teach them to love people and use things rather than using people and loving things. Grandpa, that's within your wheelhouse. And then leave good tracks for your grandkids to follow. Let them know why you do what you do. And be an example to them in faithful living. Your third role is that of a torchbearer. In Psalm 71, 18, it says, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. You see, as a torchbearer, you need to be the torchbearer of the gospel to your children and to your community and your grandkids. Make sure your grandchildren hear the truth of the gospel. Trust the Holy Spirit to draw them on His time and schedule. And demonstrate a consistent concern and compassion of unsaved people. You are the torchbearer of moral living in an immoral world. Take bold yet gracious steps on moral issues. Show them how to flourish spiritually in a hostile culture. Teach your grandchildren to develop discernment as you help them evaluate their their world. Number four, you're also the standard setter. Psalm 92.12 And verses 14 through 15 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So here's what you do, Grandpa. You model, and you teach, and you encourage. Number one, you inspire them in their faith. I have had the privilege of dedicating many babies through the years, but I want you to know that as it related to my own grandkids, I remember walking with them before they ever made it to a church and prayed prayers of blessing over their life that they will never remember. I want you, Grandpa, to remember as you're carrying your grandkids around, pray over them because you're putting something in them spiritually that comes from your heart to theirs that will build into them emotionally something that they may not get from anywhere else. So give them an inspiring faith. Give them consistent integrity. And then give them poise. Here's an interesting thing that happens. We've heard this statement a lot. If I knew how great grandparenting was over parenting, I would have started there. 
You know why we say that? It's because we have learned something through the years of growth, men. We've learned patience. Sometimes we didn't have much of it as it related to our own kids because we lived in a, he- in a, a hectic world and it seemed like nothing ever slowed down. But as we get to the stage of being grandparents, some of the things that bothered you about your own kids will not bother you about your grandkids. And you will tell your children, eh, that's no big deal. And they will look at you like, what happened to my dad? That's not what you said when I was a kid. You say, I got older. I got wiser. I got smarter. And I now have more poise. Because that's what grandfathers contain. Teach your kids about personal discipline. Don't let your children or your grandchildren ever go one day without you mentioning them before the throne of grace to God. And let them hear you pray for them. You will have steadfast endurance that you will demonstrate to them and courage because these are the things that we as grandfathers emotionally provide to our children and also there is an emotional attachment that comes to us from them that changes our heart. And that leads me to the last stage, the elderly father. I'm not going to ask you elderly grandfathers to stand because it would be way too hard. (laughs) And none of us consider that. We never consider ourselves that, but there will come an age, Dad, when your children will make the decisions for you. And you will be thankful at that moment in time that you modeled fatherhood well. One of the scariest things to people as they age is that they don't feel in control anymore. Stephen Zaret, professor of human development and family studies at Penn State University, recited this. He says, these are the things that take place as an elderly father begins to recognize that others will make decisions. When the children come in and said, so you tell your dad on a snowy day not go outside and snubble, sn- shovel snow. <laughs> and you assume that he'll listen because it just makes sense. It's the sensible thing. And as soon as you leave, his response is to get up, go outside and shovel snow because it's his way of holding on to something that's slipping away. He needs to try to prove to himself that he still has abilities and capabilities and is still needed. And your determination of whether or not you consider that to be an independent father or a stubborn man depends on who's making the call. In this recent study, Zared and his colleagues looked at parental stubbornness as a complicating factor in intergenerational relationships. Not surprisingly... Adult children were way more likely to say that their fathers were stubborn than the father was to see his behavior as anything less than I'm still independent. Understanding why fathers may be insisting, resisting, and persisting in their ways or opinions will help you have an understanding attitude that leads you back to the very first thing they ask you to do as a young adult. Would you please be kind? Be kind with your aging father. Do not pick arguments. Do not make the parent feel defensive, but plant an idea, step back, give it time. If anybody knows your dad, it's you, that he needs to process things differently than you do, and then bring it up later and be patient all over again. Decisions at this stage need to be made over time and not rashly or quickly. But one of the benefits 
of fathering well is that when you hand off your rights and care to your children, I trust that they will sit back and say, I have learned how to give care from the best because my dad 